podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? After the technical gremlins have been overcome, not bad. Yes, so we are trialling a new method of recording. If you are going to listen to future pods by any contributors on Anfield Index on the Discord channel, what you will need to do is go to the AI Pro live chat room, as always. Somebody's name, normally Guy, sometimes Nina, will have live next to it. Just hover over their name and you'll see watch stream. Click in there and you'll be able to hear everything perfectly um, because we're going to be recording them through Zoom but streaming them through Discord because the Discord recorder is a piece of shit, to be honest. So, Carl, we are here today to talk about Southampton. But we, before we get into that, let's do some end-of-season uh, shenanigans. Mm. So I'm going to start by... We're going to do... Let's let's do some awards, shall we? Let's. Why not? Right. Who is your manager of the season? I've been back and forward on this because I think it's one of three. In the end, I have gone to Eddie Howe because I think it's such an overperformance and such a feat of coaching, basically, before the expected boost from only finances comes. I think, you know, the, the amount of games that they've lost, only Man City have lost fewer, only Man City have conceded the same number of goals as them. I just think that's a massive, massive, really, really good team-building work that he's done there. Um, my other two that I did consider was, what, do you want to say your one first before I give my no, answer? No, no, no. Give, give, okay. me, give me your other two as well. Uh, so, Deservey, obviously, for Brighton. I mean, stylistically, unbelievable. Tactically, really, really good. And I think the most impressive thing is that he came in partway through a season. And they had already started that season really well. So, a drop-off because it's a change, because it's a new manager, because it's a new country. All of those things, plus it's in the middle of a season, could have made it really, really difficult. But I think it's actually made them better. Now, obviously, they've gone from, I think it was fourth when Potter left to sixth now, but Potter left after like five games. And the sixth is, is not really a position at that point. Or fourth isn't a position at that point. I think Deserve has been unbelievably good. Um, ultimately, they've lost a few too many, and obviously, they still have a bit of inconsistency, which is why I didn't pick him. And the other one who I thought really deserved consideration was Gary O'Neill because he was not a manager at the start of the season. He's never been a manager. He took over a team that got absolutely walloped and the manager before him had demoralised that squad to the point of saying, you're not good enough to not get relegated. And he's kept up. I think that's a very fair list. I really do think that's a very fair list. And I'm glad you mentioned Gary O'Neill, because 
as you said, he took over a team that had been battered three times on the bounce. The 9-0 scoreline at Anfield was obviously an outlier in terms of the scorelines, but in terms of the gap between them and their opponents, Arsenal and City had both trounced them as well. They just weren't as ruthless as we were. I would throw two other names into the mix here. Now, I, I, like you, have gone Eddie Howe for the exact same reasons that you pointed out, but for one other reason as well. I think one of the most important things a manager can do after they get sacked is to learn. To learn from the mistakes that they've made and come back better, more rounded. Eddie Howe came back almost a completely different manager to the one we saw at Bournemouth. Eddie Howe at Bournemouth coached a team that were naive, hopeless defensively, and soft. And this Newcastle team might be the most cynical team in the division when it comes to time-wasting, when it comes to buying free kicks, when it comes to the shithousery. And they have been tremendous defensively. The signing of Botman completely transformed them. And by all accounts, he was someone Eddie Howe demanded in January and then got in the summer. So he was an Eddie Howe target. I think Eddie Howe has done a phenomenal job there. Now, look, they have spent money. There's no point in denying that they spent money. But it's not like they spent the type of money Todd Bowley has thrown around. And when you look at that team, Nick Pope got relegated last year. Dan Byrne was a fairly average left-back for Brighton. Fabian Scherr had been at Newcastle when they were garbage. Jolington was seen as a flop. Almiron was seen as a flop. And he's gotten the best out of all of them. He's also gotten the best out of Callum Wilson, who's put together his best-ever Premier League season. And I think Eddie Howe is absolutely the right pick. Like you, I would have Deserby and Gary O'Neill in the mix. But the two others I'd put in this mix are Thomas Frank, who I just love the work he does at Brentford. Second season syndrome is a real thing in the Premier League, and they overcame it without a glitch. Uh, an improvement on last year. It's a team that's clearly very well coached. They know exactly who they are and what they're about and what they're set out to do. They have had a very, very impressive season for me and could potentially still get into Europe. If Spurs were to draw and Villa were to draw or lose, Brentford could get into Europe with a win over Man City on the final day. And that's a City team with nothing to play for. A City team that Brentford have done fairly well against since coming up. So the fact that they are in, in with a chance of Europe on the final day, the fact that they're going to finish as, I believe, the, yeah, the number two, number two or number three London club in the league this season. Obviously, Arsenal will finish above them. It just depends what happens with, with them and Spurs on the final day. The fact that they're above Fulham, above Palace, above Chelsea, above West Ham, Bigger clubs who spend a lot more money. Fulham, you could argue that the clubs are in the same size, size, but Fulham have spent more money than them. I think it's an amazing job. 
And then the other one would be Fulham. Because for a newly promoted team who had quite a strange summer to come up, establish themselves in the top half of the league early and stay in the top half of the league, overcome losing their best player and top goal scorer for eight games and still comfortably finish in the top half, I think it's an outstanding job. I think any of those five would be worthy would be worthy picks. Now, I have to say, go back a month, and I probably would have leaned to Zerbi because he took over in September after the transfer window had closed, so he couldn't make any additions, could, didn't have a preseason, drastically altered the mindset and the way they played in terms of how they build up, how they attack, the areas that they attack from, and the number of goals they score. Like Brighton this season have scored 71 goals. This is a Brighton team that last year under Potter only managed to score 42 goals. The season before under Potter, they only managed to score 40 goals. And it's not like they've conceded a lot more. It's five more than two years ago, seven more than last year. But they've added nearly 30 goals or, or more than 30 goals in, in the case two years ago. So I think he's done an incredible job. The reason I've dropped him down a spot is because he got walloped by Everton. And it's unacceptable to me that you get walloped by this Everton team on your home ground. Everton are pathetic and especially pathetic away from home. And if they just done their job and just won that fucking game, Everton would probably be going down this weekend, and we'd all be much happier. So, the Zerbi, you cost yourself manager of the year by getting walloped by the F. Yeah, can't argue with either of those, and certainly not for the, for the reasoning behind the De Zerbi snub as well. Um, I, I think it'll be really, really interesting to, to watch them over a full season, especially with European football now. Um, you mentioned Brentford and potentially European football as well. On the one hand, it would be unbelievably interesting to watch two teams like that uh, go into Europe for the first time in modern age and and see how they fare, not just in Europe against you know certain sides who who you would imagine they would be better than footballing wise, but also in terms of the Premier League and the coping with the expectation and the relentlessness of the fixture list, the in, increased turnaround between games. Obviously, um, one thing I was going to ask you, and I, I've been meaning to look it up all week, and I've just not had a chance. If West Ham win. Europa Conference League. Do England, do the Premier League still get a Europa Conference League spot for next season? Because we only get a limited number of spaces overall, don't we? So I'm not sure whether we just don't have a, a conference representative next season. That is a good question. Because uh, it's so obviously Spurs are already out. Villa are already out. Yeah. That, would just then be the three. I, I, I'm fairly certain they do. I can't remember if we get the extra one now or, or it's you know, capped and you don't get the additional one. I, I can't remember, so I meant no, to look it up. But I'm having... fairly certain that you do. I, I think it's only the Champions League where you can only have four. I think for the Europas... Well, that would be great then. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain of that because I remember I was watching something the other day where they were talking about Villa and Unai Emery and what an amazing job it would be. And there was no... Well, there was no mention made of... Yeah the fact that West Ham could potentially um, screw that up. 
Um, I assume we're all Fiorentina fans in the final anyway. Um, but yeah, that's a good question, actually. That's something <clears throat> that I, I actually haven't looked into either. But I, I do think, I do think that it plays out. Okay, so Carl Wilkinson says four Champions League, three Europa League, because obviously West Ham would go into the Europa League and a Conference League. So, um, great, thank you. Yeah, my my assumption would have been if it wasn't going to be allowed that Brighton would have dropped. There's the thing. So Brighton, Brighton would surely have been the team to drop into the Conference League, then, wouldn't they? Because they they want to have a represent representative in, in each competition. So if West Ham had won and gone into the Europa League, it would have been surely Brighton that drop into the Conference League. But when Brighton drew with City the other night, they put up a big graphic that they were in the Europa League. So I'm assuming they've had confirmation that that's how it will work. Um, I assume we would both say that of all the managerial changes that were made during the season, De Zerbi has worked out the best. Um, but we should give, and, and I know this will be tough for you because you're not a huge fan, but we should give a doff of the cap to Unai Emery, who has done a, a tremendous job at Villa. Now, they're not a, a top four team. Like, they've been a top four caliber team under Unai Emery, which is a, a great achievement across this long. But they're not that good, just like they're not as bad as they were under Gerard. The truth is, over the course of a season, they probably are somewhere between 7th and ninth, And I think that's fair enough. Uh, they'll go again next season. They'll be interesting to see. What about player of the year then, Carl? Who would be your footballer of the year? Just just before moving on, absolutely right about Emery. And the, the job he's done is absolutely expected. That's, that's the first thing I would say. Um, from New Year's Day to this point, one game before the end of the season, Villa have taken the second highest points tally in the league. He will be having them in the conversation for six next season, I would imagine. That's never been a question about Emery whatsoever. Uh, my, my, again, my misgivings, let's say, over him are simply around him being labelled among the top managers, which he's not. Moving on, player of the year, did you say? Player of the year. Harland. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact of it is he's going to win He'll, he'll probably sweep the board for the awards because of the goals. Yeah. And that's fair. Yeah. It is fair. Absolutely right. But I do think we should be rewarding performance as well. I agree. But I do think that, you know, when you say talk about performance, it is the performance, the doing well in a performance is the doing your job as well as you possibly can. And he's done it better than anybody else has. That's, that's my view on it. It might be just about goals for some people. And certainly in some of his performances, it would have been just about goals, but that is the job that he has to do. And so I still would say, as well as I think other players have played, he has been head and shoulders above. See, I wouldn't agree with head and shoulders because I think if you look across the season, he's had far more stinkers than any of the other top contenders for this award. And he's even had stinkers and scored. In mm-hmm. fact, he had he had a stinker and scored a hat-trick in one game. Yeah, but that's doing his job. But that is, yeah, that is doing his job. Um, so taking him out of the equation then, just just put him to one side for a second. Yeah. And give me your, your second and third. Who would be on your three-man ballot for Footballer of the Year? 
Um, I think Odegaard would have to. I think yeah. he is the Arsenal player who's shown most consistency, most um, resilience in the face of difficult moments, most clutch moments, let's say, if we can go all, all American about it for a minute. And after that, I think I think there's quite a battle for, for who is the third best player or, you know, who is in the next group of players who could be considered. I think those two are the, the two standouts, but I'd probably go one of the Newcastle centre-backs. Um, maybe just about Botman over Shah, but honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with either one. Well, I would go Botman over Shah purely because we've seen Fabian Shah in teams that were garbage. Sven Botman is, is the primary reason, in my view, as an organiser, as a leader of that backline, that they've seen such an improvement. But I would go another Newcastle player over him. I think Bruno Gomerich, through the first three quarters of the season, was arguably the footballer of the year when you take out just the freak nature of what Haaland's done. Now, he's had this ankle injury he's been playing through and it has hampered him, but I still think he's been very, very good. So I, I would go, I would like you, I would go Odegaard second, Gomerich third. I think Odegaard has been incredible this season. And whenever, up until the last few games, whenever Arsenal needed a lift, whenever they needed somebody to drag them back into games, or like you said, to come up in the clutch, it was him over and over and over again. And I have to say, I I thought it was a strange decision to make him the captain. But I think he's absolutely proven that it was the right decision. Because while he's not one who, you know, deals in the passionate vocal shouts, he is the type of player that has shown a capability now to put the team on his back and carry them over the line. I, I think he's had an incredible season. And if you're Norwegian... How exciting must it be to have Haaland, Odegaard and a plethora of other young, exciting players coming through? That's Those two together are going to be formidable for years for their national team. And it's great that we have both in the Premier League, however long it lasts. Right then, signing of the season. Oh, we should we should just say... Alison Becker deserves to be in this conversation. He won't get any mention in the mainstream. And I have a feeling he's going to get gypped out of team of the year. But Alison Becker has been phenomenal this season. Easily, in my view, the goalkeeper of the year. Easily. David De Gea might win the Golden Gloves. It's a meaningless award anyway. Clean sheets is not the mark of a defence or a goalkeeper. Average goals conceded per game is much more telling. And that would go to either Nick Pope or Ederson. I would say Pope has had a better season than Ederson. But I think Allison has been the best goalkeeper all round. I think the only reason Liverpool were even in with a sniff and go into the you know, could potentially go into the final day with a sniff of Champions League if United are to lose tonight is because of him. So we should give him a, a quick mention. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile 
when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Just quickly looking through, uh, we actually did our Indie Awards uh, this morning. I'm just looking through the team of the year. And the only two goalkeepers who got nominations were Allison and Pope. I think that's right. It's seven for Allison and five for Pope. So there you go. That's a pretty pretty decent split, to be fair. Yes, the five people at the end who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, how many teams of the year at the end did Bruno Gomerish make? Let me see. And how many did Sven Botman make? I think it's four, unless I've miscounted very, very quickly for Gimaris. And Botman is in three. That's a scandal. An absolute scandal. And I guarantee you Kieran Trippier is in most of them. Kieran Trippier is the right back of choice for, I'd say, about 80% of them on a very, very quick glance through. Yeah, Kieran Trippier getting nominated for Football of the Year despite not being one of the two best players in his own team is just an absolute joke. But Botman, there just hasn't been a better centre-back in the league this year than Sven Botman. There just hasn't. And I, I don't think there's been a better holding midfielder than Gimmerich. I know people say Rodri... And he's probably in the ones that Gamerish isn't in. But Rodri was very hit and miss up until about February. Very, very hit and miss. Now, City were hit and miss as well. But this Newcastle team have massive... City haven't overperformed. City are worse than they were last year in the league. Worse than they were last year. They haven't overperformed. The only one team in this division coming into the season that anyone thought had a hope of keeping pace with City was Liverpool. As it turns out, nobody has kept pace with them. They're eight points clear at the top of the table. But they haven't overperformed. Newcastle have massively overperformed, and it's because of that fella at centre-back and that fella in midfield. Anyway, give me your signing of the season, and you can't pick Erling Haaland. Okay, I didn't pick Erling Haaland, actually, because uh, I tend to do these, uh, you know, value versus expectation versus output. That's the kind of equation or whatever you want that I put on it. Um, so I think we sort of did it by best bargain, which is kind of along those lines. So the three that I mentioned who are free transfers, who I think have been very, very good, would be Christian Eriksen, Neto and Ben Mee. Um, but basically for, for a best buy, I went for someone who was paid for and I picked Jao Polinia for 18 million. That's a great, that's a great shout. An absolutely brilliant shout. I would also uh, mention Bubakar Kamara in those frees. I think he's been great, but obviously missed kind of two chunks of the season with injury. 
Uh, ben Mee has been excellent for Brentford. Couldn't agree more. Ericsson, it's just a shame that he lost a big chunk of the season. Yeah, Ericsson, was... I think, was like unbelievably good first mm. two-thirds of the season. And because he got obviously injured and then not quite found top form when he comes back, it's kind of overlooked now. Like He's not as important, but he was ridiculously important for them. Yeah. In that run where they kind of found what they wanted to be as a counter-attacking team, yeah. he was excellent. Um, and you mentioned Neto. And and like he's not someone I'm a big fan of. I didn't like him at all when he was in La Liga, but there's no doubt he's done a brilliant job for Bournemouth this year. Vital in keeping them up. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't disagree. I, I think you're right. I think Joe Paulinha for 18 million, it makes a lot of clubs that passed on him look very very silly, uh, including our own. Um. And obviously, if he was available this summer, I think that's that's an easy fifty million that Fulham will get for him because he has been tremendous. Now, I wouldn't pay it because at twenty eight, I see little upside, no resale value, so it wouldn't be for me. But I think he's been brilliant, and I think he's, I think he's been vital for Fulham. Um, I would put, I would give mention to Morgan Gibbs White. I think he's been really, really good for Forrest. I think he's been their best player. And as again, mentioned him earlier, Sven Botman. What they pay thirty million, and uh, just think he's been he's been outstanding. Um, biggest disappointment in terms of team. Uh, we can leave Liverpool out of this, and we can leave Chelsea out because they're obvious ones. Who would you look at outside of those two? Um, for overall underperformance, you mean? Yes. Well, I, I've said before, I think Spurs this season, horrible, absolutely horrible, considering who they had in place and what they were building from, and what they were aiming for. I think Spurs have, have been absolutely shocking. If it hadn't been for Chelsea, it would be Spurs anyway for my for my pick of this. Uh, Chelsea obviously are the correct answer and Liverpool are only not the correct answer because of the you know last 10 games or so. Um, if we ignore... Spurs because they're a car crash. Then I think probably Everton again. Are Everton a bigger disappointment than West Ham? Um, I think so because of the amount that they've spent and because West Ham sort of get the not a pass but a a boost from European exploits. So if West Ham finish fourteenth and win a European trophy. No supporter has ever, ever, ever gone to class that as a disappointment. That's true. That is true. I will ask, though, given they started the season with Frank Lampard as manager, what were the expectations on Everton? Well, there's there's expectations and there's realistic expectations. So, you know, depends what we're yeah, talking true, about. True. Depends on, on how much gammon you've eaten that day. Uh, biggest disappointment as a player? Hmm. So many categories where we could put this in. From a personal perspective, obviously for Liverpool, it's Darwin Nunez, and there's no debate about that really, given the amount we paid for him. Um, quite a lot of people put him down as the the transfer flop of the season, basically as well. Um, I think there are lots to choose from in terms of expectation of them, like Anthony, Mikhail Mudrik after he signed, Richarlison, obviously an absolute. Yeah, that's. I don't know how anyone could pick Darwin in a world where Richarlison exists. Yeah, um, my my pick of more was Calvin Phillips in the end. Uh, they paid nearly fifty million for him, and he paid 
he played 104 minutes before they'd won the title in the league. That's absurdly overlooked how non-event he was. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I mean, the, the only thing is he was very clearly bought in to be a squad player. Um, minutes. But 100 minutes is, is, is ludicrous. I, I just... I, I can't get over anyone picking Darwin, who's clearly had a better season than Anthony, clearly had a better season than Richarlison. Like, for me, it just has to be Richarlison. Yeah, um, I again, think that this is similar to the, the Christian Eriksen thing in that recency bias comes into people's heads. It's It's true. been a bad end of season for Darwin, of course. So that kind of feels worse than what Anthony has done because Anthony was garbage for most of the season and hasn't changed. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, taking out new signings then, players that were in the league last year yeah. and you were expecting a big season from them this year, who would you look at? Because for me, I would say Declan Rice. I think he's been dreadful this season. He's had a couple of decent games recently against teams that he could potentially be looking for a move to, Manchester United and Arsenal. But other than that, I think in the Premier League this season, he has been appalling. He has been dominated by basically every good opponent he's come up against individually. Caicedo dog-walked him. Romeo Lavia dog-walked him. Joao Paulinho made him look absolutely appalling. I just think he has been hugely disappointing this season. With Mark Noble retiring, Rice was given the armband. The expectation was... Declan Rice is going to step up now as a leader. And yet all season long, I've seen West Ham fans crying about how there's no leadership in the team. And yet you'll see people on Twitter trying to big up Declan Rice, calling him a leader of men. And in truth, he's led nothing. Twice this season, he's come out and made comments about how he feels it's time to, or he's ready for a move on. He wants to play for a Champions League club. Those are not the actions of a leader. Those are not the actions of a captain. Yes, you might want to leave. If you're captain of a club, you cannot publicly ever, ever come out and say that. You do it behind closed doors. Everyone knows you're leaving. You should never, ever step out in front of the media and say, yeah, I think it's time I went to a Champions League club. I think I'm good enough for a Champions League club, especially when you're turning in four out of ten performances on a weekly basis this year. So for me, it's him. Who would you go for? Um, not sure. I'd, I'd you know scorch someone's entire person to quite the same level of extent there. To be fair, but I think I mean there's such a wide range of one, but I guess. Um, I think there was a lot of expectation on uh, Raheem Sterling to do a lot better this year. I know he's yeah. not a new signing and you said that, but I think he was probably one I would have been looking at. Um, Jaden Sancho would have been one for sure. Uh, Christian Romero, to be honest, uh, I would have expected better from him. And Kai Havertz as well. I think um, the Sterling one is fair. Sancho... Let me ask, I'll come back, actually, I'll come back to Sancho. Christian Romero, I think, is still drunk from the World Cup. <laughs> it's the only explanation is that since the World Cup ended, he's just been on a bender, having barbecues, drinking lots and lots of booze, and just hasn't slept in five months. Because he has been poor. Now, 
that being said, if you were made play next to Eric Dyer for an entire season, you'd probably struggle as well. Um, Raheem St- Sterling, you're right, because I think the expectation was he'll just, you know, he'll fit in seamlessly and there'll be no adaptation period. He'll just kick on and, and, and he'll help Chelsea get back to where they wanted to be. The only mitigating circumstance there, though, as well, apart from the fact that Chelsea have been a train wreck, is that the guy who signed him, the guy who wanted him, was sacked a week after the transfer window closed. And Graham Potter doesn't really make the most of players like Raheem Sterling. So I I think that's kind of the only saving grace for Sterling is that Thomas Tuchel wanted him, he signed him, and then he didn't get to work under Tuchel. Jaden Sancho, Carl, what are United going to do with him? Because this manager signed Anthony. That was his pick. So you can expect that Anthony is ahead of Sancho in the manager's mind. Marcus Rashford is probably one of the two best players or three best players at United with Bruno and, say, Casemiro. His best position is off the left. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So he's not really going to get into that role either. Mm. You've got Bruno as the 10. You've got Garnacho, who really does look like a hell of a prospect. And now you have reports from David Ornstein, among others, that United is the preferred destination for Mason Mount and that United are going to make a significant play to get Mason Mount. Now, I don't really see where Mount fits unless they're going to play him off the left and put Rashford through the middle or play Mount as the 10 and play Bruno Fernandes a bit deeper next to Casemiro. I don't think that gets the best out of Bruno. I don't think playing Rashford through the middle gets the best out of him. But if they add Mason Mount as well, what do they do with Sancho? Like, where does he fit then? What's the role for him? Or does he need to get hold of his agent and say, look, I need to go because there's no spot for me here? Well, I think next year is probably going to be the year where he has to figure out what spot he wants and what spot he goes for. And if he doesn't, then maybe the following season, uh, the following summer, obviously, is going to be the one where he might have to look at leaving because he doesn't have a place right at this moment. I, I, I quite liked the game or two, the, well, the start once and coming on a couple of times where 
uh, Ten Hag has played him basically as the 10 and he, he's been yeah. able to sort of run narrow channels and get in support, but it's not been a, a starting position for him very much. Um, and like you say, if they either sign Mount or Fernandes just carries on playing there anyway, he's not going to start there all the time. So at the minute, it looks like he's an in and out player for whichever role is you know, next up for rotation or for whatever injury needs covering, that kind of thing. And I think that's not entirely unexpected given he was basically let go and train by himself and get himself in the right place for what, three months, I think it was in the end, something mm-hmm. like that. So kind of a write-off this season. He needs to come back and have a big preseason and show his best form because like, technically his movement, physical play, his finishing level is really, really good when he's at his best. So he's capable of winning a spot in this side. Like at their very best, both of them, he's better than Anthony. It's no question in my mind. Oh, yeah. But if he's not playing at that level, obviously he's not going to get the ball in the team. So I think next year is really, really important for that. Whether he wins himself a a right wing spot or somewhere else like Rashford is pushed forward, um, I think next season is kind of make or break for him as a Man United starter for sure. Yeah. Like the thing with Sancho, I agree with you. I think the best he looked was was those brief minutes um, playing as the 10. Because Sancho's a player who's more about sort of intelligence than explosiveness. And when we saw him at Dortmund at his very best, he had, when he played on the right, he would have Ashraf Hakimi overlapping. When he played on the left, he would have Rafa Guerrero overlapping. And he was able to combine with them. And that's where he really thrived. But you look at the fullbacks at United, Delo is is decent, but he's not rapid. He's not a powerful runner into the opposition box. He's not someone that really worries defenders when he goes on the overlap. Aaron Wan-Bissaka gets nosebleeds when he crosses the halfway line. Luke Shaw has to do a lot of defensive work. So despite having a very high technical level and being a good crosser of the ball, Shaw doesn't get forward in support of his winger as much as Sancho needs. And Malashia just isn't the quality you'd want to to air with Sancho on a flank. So like I do think the circumstances for Sancho to thrive do need to be different than what he's getting at United. I just hope he doesn't waste too many more years there because he's 23 now and it has basically been two wasted seasons at United. And it's such a shame because he'd put together three outstanding seasons for Dortmund. And I think there was a bunch of other moves that he could have made that really would have kind of propelled him forward to another level. As a player, I think he's a super, super talented player. I just don't think United is a good fit for him. I really don't think it's a good fit for him. One other player to add into the players that have disappointed this year is, is Mason Mount. It should be pointed out. He, he's had a very, very poor year. But again, obviously, the circumstances at Chelsea have been uh, less than ideal for for any player to thrive. I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody at Chelsea really could could be tagged as having had a good year this year. Maybe N'Golo Kante, because he played three times, was probably man of the match in all of them. Same with Reese James. Five good games, six games total, into the yeah. rest. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. And again, I, like Mount has was dealing with an injury and has had to obviously have his season ended early to have surgery on that. So, um, like there, there is obviously mitigating circumstances there. I, I will be interested to see what Mount does this summer. Um, if United is his preference, it's a strange one. I, I could see him going to Arsenal, especially if Rice goes there as well because they're best friends. Maybe Chelsea swing a move for Rice and maybe with that combined with Pochettino, maybe he decides to stay there. And obviously there's the Liverpool option as well. But he, he is one of the more interesting kind of people to keep an eye on this summer. Um, That'll do us, I suppose. Is there anything else in terms of end of season awards that we, is worth? Oh, young player of the year. And it has to be somebody who is 21 or under. So it can't be, you know, like when James Milner won it despite being about 27. <laughs> 21 or under, you say? Yes. Uh, it has to be Bakayo Saka then. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. What a player. What a ludicrously good player. Um, the other one, the other ones we were discussing, so see, add your own as well if you feel like, is um, your breakout player. And I think it was then just team of the season. Okay, so breakout player, as in, you know, they, they kind of knocked around for a year or two, but this season they took a big step forward. Is that That's basically the... Yeah. Ooh. They can be um, like new players who've just burst through as well if you want, like younger ones. But yeah, basically this is their first notable campaign. Well, I would say for Premier League, I would say Gibbs White because he had a great season in the Championship last year, but hadn't really delivered on his promise in the Premier League until this season. So I'd be inclined to lean towards him. I think he's had an outstanding campaign. Is surrounded by strange circumstances at Forest. Yeah, that's fair. I think that a lot of Brighton players were yeah. notable for, for nominations here. Um, Karen Matoma was a popular one. Uh, oh, Evan yeah. Ferguson, obviously, as a breakthrough youngster. Um, Eberich Eze got a vote as well. And William Saliba for a breakthrough in the Premier League, at the very least. Um, different ends of the scale... Stefan Basetic for a breakthrough youngster got a vote, and so did Miguel Almiron, who has been here for ages, but this was his best season, I suppose. And I actually went for Gibbs White as well, so there you go. There we go. Um, right, so team of the year. Um, yeah. Right, I've got... Do you want to go position by position, or do you want to just list your teams? Uh, let's go positions, yeah. Okay, what, what shape did you go? I went 4-3-3. Perfect, that's what I've got as well. So I've got Allison as my goalkeeper. As do I, and that was the majority vote in our paper one as well. Okay, I've got Kieran. I have Kieran Trippier at right back. I think consistency wise, he just edges Ben White. And I have John Stones right back. Oh, interesting. Um, I've got Nathan Aki left back. I went for Purvis Estepinian and Aki. I didn't. Oh, I did get a couple of votes. Not not too many. There was quite a wide range at left back. A Kanji, Estepinian, a Kanji. Yeah, Zinchenko uh, and Ake, they were the four who got votes at left back. I, I can't argue with Purvis. I think he's been brilliant for Brighton. But I, I just think over the course of the year, I think I think Aki was outstanding for City. I think he really did kick on 
to a different level. Um, right, I'll give you my two centre-backs then. I've got Ruben Diaz, though. He didn't play as enough minutes to what I'd normally want to see. But a lot of that was just because City were managing so, managing him so he'd be fit for the end of the season. Uh, I've got Diaz and I've got Botman. I, I just think Botman's been the best centre-back in the league this year. The other position was up for for debate. I did I did have Gabriel there for a bit of the season. Uh, and Guy gave out to me for having two left-footed centre-backs. So I decided I needed a bit of balance, so I went with Diaz. Guy, not a fan of the uh, Phil Babb, Neil Ruddock reign of terror at the back of Anfield. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Before Julian Dix was added into the mix as well, just for some extra fun. Oh, that's a horror show. Uh, oh, so I... I went with, actually, the Newcastle duo, Shah and Botman. Um, centre-back, I think, was the, the position with the biggest variance. And I think that's a lot of what we've just now talked about. There was fewer minutes played by a few of the Man City boys and quite a lot of players were good for maybe three, four months and less good in other parts of the season. But I don't think there are too many completely wild ones here. Uh, so the ones who were listed in no particular order, just as I read them, Dunk, Saliba, Botman, Shah, Akanji, uh, Stone's got one vote at centre-back, Diaz. That seems to be all of them. So nobody voted Lisandro Martinez? Uh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, go online, go to the independent uh, <laughs> independent.co.uk and pay them whatever money they want because it's the one newspaper that hasn't fallen into the bullshit. Um, it's all free to read, people. Come along. They, they give them money anyway. Um, <laughs> go and buy the, the, the hard copy of it. Um, I think they're all... Worthy other than a kanji, which I just I'm just not getting on board with a kanji in team of the year. Um Lewis Dunk did have a very good season, but like Roberto De Zerbi, his performance against Everton was so shambolic, I just couldn't go there with him. Um into midfield then. This is difficult, but I've got Odegaard, I've got Gamerish. And my third one, I've gone back and forth on. But I, so, give me your three, and then I'll, I'll I'll pick my last one. My three in midfield are two that I've already mentioned: Odegaard and Gimarish, and I picked the Bruyne alongside him. Yeah, so I've been going back and forth between the Bruyne and Moises Caicedo because I, I just think they've both been really good, but. I, I don't think De Bruyne has been as good this season as he has been in previous seasons. And I think people will point to the assist numbers and absolutely, but Erling Haaland, it, it makes things a lot easier when you can just play the ball into Erling Haaland. So I, I think I'm going to lean Moises because I do want a Brighton player in my team of the year. I think he's been their best player. He's played any role they've asked of him. He went to right back for a couple of games and looked like he'd been there his whole career. I'm going to go with Moises Caicedo as my third midfielder. Yeah, I think that's fair, absolutely. Um, I think there are quite a few players who were really, really good in central midfield for quite a long time. I mean, we mm. talked about Palinha earlier, for example. Um it also depends on what you value most in a midfielder, I suppose, which is absolutely subjective for, for most people. So 
Yeah. As long as there's balance in there and as long as there are no, uh, you know, Garth Crooks-esque shoehorned in right wingers in your central midfield, I'm open. <laughs> we should give a little mention to a guy who, for probably half the season, probably about half the season, performed at a level that I don't think either of us thought he was capable of doing. And that's Granite Jacket, who has put together easily, easily the best season of his tenure at Arsenal. But he hasn't been, been nearly as good in the back half of the season as he was in the front half of it. And I, I do find it funny that after his only good season since joining the club, he's being sold for around 15 million. I think that that's very, very good thing for Arsenal to finally get around to doing. They could have and should have sold him a couple of years back more than they once. They should have. Um, Look, he was very, very good. He's getting better use, I would say, this season, rather than mm. being used as a defensive-minded central midfielder, which he was never before. He, you know, he tackled and he's aggressive, but that doesn't make you defensive-minded. Um, the other thing I would say is, even though he's been better and even though he's done more good things, he's also still done the same stuff, which has made him a problem for years and years and years. Yes. And, that you know, that's ultimately part of what has cost Arsenal in the running, not not completely, but part of it. Um, and just there have been other better players, I think. As much as he had a big impact, I don't even. Oh yeah, like I, I wouldn't have him in my team of the year, but I I think the biggest factor for him in that first nineteen games was he didn't do the stupid Granite Jacket stuff, and I think that's where I give him the most credit. He, he managed to keep his head firmly on his shoulders for the first, you know, nineteen games of the season. Since then, there has been incidents of stupidity, most notably when he decided to get Anfield all fired up mm. and Arsenal's title charge disappeared under their own feet. Um, right, we're, we're both going to have Haaland in our front three, I assume. Haaland is my nine. Um, I, I will say, Harry Kane deserves mention, but I'm only picking one nine. I, yeah. If you're playing 4-3-3, you can't shoehorn in Harry Kane. No, some people have gone diamonds to put Haaland and Kane, to be honest, which is yeah, fine. Just, that, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. But but don't, don't try and show on a bit on the right wing. wing. No, come no. on. <laughs> Play it properly. Um, right then. So let's go left wing. <laughs> okay. I, I got hammered in the group for my choice here. Nearly everybody is basically, if they've gone with a three, gone for either Martinelli or Rashford. Yeah, and I think they're the two that had... Rashford in particular had like a long run of good form, but he also had patches of really poor form. That's why I haven't picked him. And Martinelli had a great start and the other way around. Yeah, and was just really poor in the back half of the season and disappeared when they needed him the most. He did step up when Jesus was injured a couple of times, but that was about it. Who have you gone for then? I went for Joel Linton. Um, oh. Yeah. Look, I know he's not like the most technically refined player or got the greatest goal output. He's played about 60-40 between centre-mid and left wing this season. He is the player at Newcastle who has been so, so important to so much of what they've done. He has played the most minutes in the league this season outside of the goalkeeper and back four, which hasn't changed. All the rest of Newcastle's positions have either had, obviously, the rotation in attack 
injuries in midfield, all that kind of stuff. It's been Joel Linton. He has been the key for them. And I think that his performances were good enough as well that he warrants that spot. It is it, fair. It was not met with universal acclaim. I wouldn't imagine it was. <laughs> no, he has had a very good season. See, the problem here, Carl, is that the two best wide players have been right-wingers. Yes. So, I mean, do you just cheat a little bit and pull? No, you don't. Sack of one side and salad the other? If you want to cheat like that, you can go and work for the BBC. Yeah, I'm thinking of going to work for the BBC. Um, they pay well, I hear. Um, did he play? How many How how many starts did he have on the left wing? Joe Linton? Yeah. I think it was 15, something like that. Yeah, it is a lot, to be fair. Yeah, 15 on the left, 20 centre mid. See, the one I was looking at... And when he came on a sub, that was left wing as well. It's generally left wing when he came off the bench, yeah. Because he comes on, he kind of does a bit of both. He can be a counter-attacking threat and he can help you see out a game. Um... It's tough. It is tough. Make your choice and make it left-sided. Jacob Ramsey. Charlatan. You absolute charlatan. Why? He plays left side for Villa. You've picked a new night Emery player on me. At the end yeah, of the but season. he has been brilliant, though. Yes. He He's been really, really good all year long. Even under Gerrard, he was the one player. And I love his attitude, and I love the fact that he gives a shit. Like, he actually cares. When Villa were, were woeful under Gerrard, that kid was walking off the pitch, and you could tell it was hurting him. And he was going to be thinking about that defeat right up until the next game. So I'm going to go Jacob Ramsey. And I know it won't be a, a popular pick either because he doesn't have the goals or assists of Martinelli or Rashford. I think consistency matters. Performance matters. And he's not... He can have a great game and not score or assist a goal. The others can't. Rashford can't. Martinelli can't. So I'm going to go Jacob Ramsey. Yeah, I'm going to go Ramsey. I, w- I, I, want to, I want to reward a Villa player as well because like, they are going to finish seventh. And I think he's been really good. Guys, Willian is not a bad shout, to be fair. He's had... He's my biggest surprise of the season because the player I watched at Arsenal and then the guy I was unfortunate enough to see when Arsenal decided a year into a three-year contract, I believe, this fella's not for us. And he went back to Corinthians and he looked like someone had stolen his legs. He was finished. And yet he has been excellent, absolutely excellent. For Fulham this year. So Willian's actually deserving of mention here. Especially considering if Manor Solomon hadn't gotten hurt, this doesn't happen for him. He's likely on the bench. He mightn't have even... When was he signed? He mightn't have even been signed because Solomon got injured before Willian. Willian was basically signed as cover. Um, But I'm going to go Jacob Ramsey. And then... Last pick, then. Give me your right winger. 
I went for Saka. Yeah, I went for Saka as well. Yeah. I did, I did, I did consider Salah right wing, Saka left wing. But Salah has the better numbers. That's clear. But through the first 30 games of the season, Bakayo Saka was better than Mo Salah. Just was. Performance-wise, he just was. So that's ultimately what swung it for me in the end. And Liverpool don't deserve two players in the team of the year. Hard to argue with that. Right. So there we go. There's our team of the season. Our manager of the season, our player of the season, our disappointment, all the rest, um, have at it. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that will disagree with a lot of those picks. But, um, yeah, I- I'm happy with mine. I-, I assume you're happy with yours. More than happy. Mine are all right. Hush now. Um, <laughs> quick nod of the cap to Ivan Tony as well, who might actually have been the best English striker in the league this year when you look at all-round performance and how he elevated his teammates. But, you know, he, he he's now going to miss eight months of football. Um, we should then quickly turn our attention to this weekend's game. It's not a game that deserves a whole lot of uh, build-up. Harry can take care of a lot of that on Rival Recon. Liverpool versus Southampton at St. Mary's. Saints are relegated. They're going to finish bottom of the league, Carl. They're on their third manager of the year. They've already said he will not be the manager next season. It looks like Russell Martin of Swansea is favourite to get the job. I would say the primary reason they went down, well, two primary reasons. One, the Nathan Jones extravaganza which will live long in the memory for how not to appoint a manager and then how not to carry yourself as a Premier League manager. And number two, I I just think their senior players this season really let them down. They signed a lot of young players in the summer. That was their their move. They went and they brought in Basunu, Bella Kotchup, Lavia, Seiko Mara, Samuel Adoisi and Juan Larios. In January, then, they bring in Carlos Alcaraz, and Kamaldine Suleimana. They did add some senior players, Duja Kletakar, Ms. Lavorsic, who's been injured mostly, um, Paul Onoachu. But I just think when you look through their squad and look at the senior players, like Walker Peters had a solid enough season, but he's a fullback. He's not changing your life. Um, Lyanko was poor. Kletakar was poor. Ward Prowse was poor. Adam Armstrong was poor. Che Adams was poor. Stuart Armstrong was poor. These senior players, and Bednarak when he came back was a train wreck but continues to get in the team, their failure to perform at the accepted level, which is, you know, be six to seven out of ten most weeks, that's ultimately what caused Southampton. I don't believe it was the youth recruitment. I think the youth recruitment is what gives them some hope for the future. But the bigger factor is the Nathan Jones shenanigans. Yeah, so at the beginning of the season, they were going down. Unfortunately, it was painfully obvious that the squad wasn't good last year and they didn't add any senior quality to that. So you can't expect young players to come in and learn from people who are already doing it wrong and get it right. Um, that's just how football works, I'm afraid. And there are 
a lot of uh, historical examples of this and Southampton basically went and replicated it and I don't know whether they thought you know Ralph Hasenhutl alone would be enough to, to steer them through just one more season of, of survival and then they would be in a much better place with these younger players or what the plan was but it was really really evident even before the season started they were going to struggle badly uh, the, the managerial mid season change obviously was the absolute worst of all the mid-season changes and this was a record Premier League season for uh, sackings or managerial departures, changes, whatever way you want to label it. So if that was the worst one, it's not really a surprise that they are now bottom. And to be fair to Sellers, that he made a, a decent start. They got a couple of results, but mm. that wasn't sustained in the slightest and they're actually finishing the season like in stinkingly horrible form. One point from the last 10 matches, I think it is now. So there was no fight there. There was no reorganization. There was no really clinging to the possibility of survival later on. This is a really, really dismal season from Southampton. Um, yeah, and and in recent weeks, Carl, they've they've stopped playing a lot of the younger players as well. It's been more of the senior players. Like Bella Kotchab obviously got injured, but he was out of the team for a little bit before that. It's been Bednarak and Lyanko or Bednarak and Coletta Carr at centre-back. Basunu was dropped and Alex McCarthy came in and has been shambolic. Um, the midfield has had more Stuart Armstrong than it's needed. Uh, Ward Prowse is in the team every single game. Walcott is starting every game. Like it is the senior players that have been starting these games. And like you said, these guys just weren't good enough last year. So how anyone expected them to be good enough this year is is very, very strange. It is, and I mean, like, obviously there's going to be an, an element of preparing for next season in terms of players who they want to be involved to maybe, you know, Kletikar was barely in the side at the start of the season, so maybe they're thinking, like, championship, he'll be a very, very good central defender at that level if they keep hold of him. But, I mean, there's got to be, obviously, a, a real concern at the moment in terms of the the mindset, the mentality of the players, the, the senior group that they've got. I mean, one point from the last... Five, six games. I think they've conceded 16 goals in that run of games. That's after you've been relegated. Not even a response there. It's, it is really, really bad. And, you know, to be fair to the ownership group, they've immediately recognized that and, and turned a lot of change, let's say. Obviously, mm. then for now, Sellers is going. Like you say, they also got rid of the CEO, uh, Martin Simmons, who was there for a couple of years, three years, I think. Um, so they've, they've, Sport Republic, who own them, have sort of put their own people now in place very quickly at the end, the end of this season. And they've got Jason Wilcox coming in as director of football. Yeah. He's coming in from the City Group. So obviously they'll have high hopes for him. But but I think if they can sell, let's say, two or three of the players, the bigger players, the more expensive players, and keep most of the group who they've brought in over the last 18 months or so, maybe they've got a chance of coming straight back up. But you have to sort of offload and no longer look towards... Walcott, the Armstrongs in general. Shea Adams is probably fine at that level. Joe Arriba has been really poor for them this year. I thought he was going to be quite a good addition, but he's not. Um, so, there's, but, there's... but maybe the championship will suit him a bit better. Well, yes, maybe, but I, I, I wouldn't want to take all of those players who have been in the championship before, like you know Armstrong and uh, Shea Adams and all that, rely on them to come back up again, and then think, well, this time around they'll they'll do it better. You know, mm. if you're going to be I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. 
Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Two years to get back to surviving in the Premier League, or if that's at least your plan, you know, even if you think you can't keep hold of Lavia for that long or you can't keep hold of Salisu or whoever it is, make sure that the ones who you come back up with already in the team are the ones who you genuinely think, one, they'll stay, and two, they could survive. So like, if you can somehow keep hold of, um, uh, let's say, Jai Alcaraz or something like that, give them the whole season playing and then make them part of your first team lineup coming back in. Don't go back to you know, Theo Walcott again and that kind of mm. play because... You know, 18 months from now, if you are back in the Premier League, is Shea Adams, is Theo Walcott, is Stuart Armstrong going to be contributing to you being in 15th place or are you going to be back in 20th, 19th with them again? Yeah, no, I fully agree. It's interesting. They sacked Ralph Hasenhutl after 14 games. In those 14 games, they'd won three and drawn three. And in the 23 games since, they've won three and drawn three. They might just have been better off sticking with Ralph Hasenhutl. Sacking him to appoint Nathan Jones was just such a weird decision. And it was clearly that was the plan because Nathan Jones was appointed three days after Hasenhutl cleared out his desk. So like they, they act- actively looked around and thought, oh, this is the guy. We're going to bring him in. We'll sack the fellow we have and we'll bring this guy in. If it was me, if I was Jason Wilcox, I, I, firstly, I don't know that I'd appoint Russell Martin because I, I think he plays nice football. I don't think he's done a great job at Swansea. I think he's done okay, but not a great job. But I would look at that squad and I would look to sell Walker Peters because I think you'll get good money for him. He's too good for the championship. I would sell one of Leanko and Coletta Carr. I would sell Ward-Prowse. I'd sell Che Adams because he's got a year left on his deal. I would sell Roman Perot because I think you'd get decent money for him. I'd sell Stuart Armstrong. I would sell Salisu because he's got a year left on his deal and there's no way he's staying. I'd let Elianasi go. I'd let Walcott go. And I'd try and keep the rest. And I would just ignore phone calls on on any of them. Because if I sell the players I've just listed, I think I make enough money up to bridge the gap between Premier League and Championship. Because I think you will convince a silly club to give you a big ball of money for Ward-Prowse. 
I think Walker Peters has good value. I think Salisu will bring in a decent fee. I think Adams can bring in a decent fee. And I'd look at a team that has Basuno in goal, Livermento right back, Larius left back, Bella Kotchup, and one of, say, say Coletta Carr is the one you keep. Right, that's my defense. That's my goalkeeping defense. I think that's pretty strong. In midfield, I've got Alcaraz, I've got Lavia, and I've got Diallo. And I think that's a really good midfield. I think that's really balanced. I get a goal scorer, I get a ball winner, and I get someone that can dictate the game from deep in Lavia. And up front, I go Seiko Mara on one wing, Suleimana on the other, and I look to find a striker. I look to find someone that's going to get me goals at the championship level. And it might be that you have to go and look for somebody on a loan deal. Maybe there's someone at a Premier League club who's not getting games and they're willing to loan down a, divi- down a division. Maybe there's somebody in the championship or potentially in League One who's been banging in goals. Maybe you look abroad and you bring someone in. But I think that team has huge upside and huge potential and under the right manager could run the board in the pre- in the championship and come up a much better team than they've gone down and come up battle hardened and you'd still have a lot of experience depth there you'd have Alex McCarthy you'd have Arebo you'd have Bednarak um you'd have like the likes of James Bree you'd have Orsic You'd need to add a few squad pieces on freeze and whatever. Go and find some battle-hardened championship players that you can bring in on the cheap. And come up with your team, with your 11, almost in place, where you only need maybe to upgrade on Coletta Carr and maybe find a permanent solution at number nine. But I think there's enough talent there that if you're a Southampton fan, you could be excited about what the future will hold if they're strong enough to keep hold of these outstanding young players that they brought to the club on long-term contracts, I might point out, none of them have clauses that demand that they get sold if they go down. I think I just wouldn't answer the phone on any of them. I think I'd just try and keep them on board one season. If we go up, you're staying. If we don't go up, then we'll look to sell you. You can get really good money for a player that's had a great season in the championship if you haven't come up. Really good money. Like, even take an example of Gibbs White. Had a great season in the championship and Wolves decided to sell him. They got 25 million rising to 42.5 based solely on a season in the championship. So they wouldn't lose massive amounts of money on the likes of Lavia by going down. If he excels in the championship, they'll get their money for him. There's already that city buyback, which I think is 40-odd million. So they know that they're guaranteed that if City want him in 12 months. They'll get similar in 12 months, even if it's not City. Yeah, I think there's definitely scope to say that there's a, a two, two-year selling plan if they don't come up, for sure. You know, some, some of them have not really contributed enough yet to, to justify selling them for anywhere near they signed them for anyway. I think like you know, Suleimana, for example, you'd, you'd want a lot more from him anyway. 
um, if they do manage to keep hold of that kind of player. So nothing wrong with keeping hold of them. And I think you know the the, the, the type of signing that you mentioned in attacker, you even think of someone like Emmanuel Dennis, who went to Forest and has not really worked out for him. He's already done a season in the championship. He might be open to going down there to a team who wants him for the longer term now, who's not really nailing it down at Forest. So there are definite deals to be done where they can get high-quality players who can bring them back up. You've got to have one, the team-building side from the manager, mm. whichever coach and staff they put in place. And secondly, I think you're probably right in that they have to sign maybe one or two from within the championship, just of, of the, the championship ilk, which is not as ferocious and all about the scrapping as it used to be. I think we have to acknowledge no. that. Most of the teams who come up now are football insides who play really well. You get the odd, you know, maybe playoff promoted place, uh, which is like, you know, more defensively minded or a counter-attacking team or that kind of thing. But the, those days of like scrapping shit out of your way to coming up by winning 40% of matches, they're done. So you, you haven't got to go full, you know, 1990s Ipswich or something like that. It's It's not quite as bad as that, but definitely a few players who have at least the experience of that length of season and so on. Yeah. Not really yeah, because that's the that's the thing to factor in. It's a very long season. It's forty six games, and it look you, you're absolutely right. You have to be a footballing team to come up, and you're going to need up well in excess of ninety points to come up. That's just what it is now. Norwich set a new standard for everybody, and everybody else has to dance to that bar. It is a sixty percent win rate really to come up in over the last three four seasons? Probably it used With, to be like maybe half of your games, and you would go up. Yeah, now it's it is quite considerably raised from that. It is, and it's it's a it's a very very tough league as well. Like, and there is, you know, you you are going to come up against teams that will just try and kick the bejesus out of you, yeah, because th- there's those teams that exist in like the kind of fourteenth to eighteenth place in the championship, and all they want to do is scrap and fight for every point so they can stay in the division. Your Birmingham's and people like that. So you will come up against a few of them, but mostly. Especially the top half teams, like they are mostly footballing sides. You look at the championship this season, it's a lot of teams that played good football. Burnley played great football. Sheffield United played great football. I would say Luton were maybe a bit more direct than some of the others, but they still played some decent ball. Borough were a good footballing team. So were Coventry and Sunderland were outrageously fun to watch at times. Um, Blackburn, Millwall, West Brom, Swansea, Watford, Preston. There's no real Grok team among them. You know, even Norwich finishing 13th, and they're a really good footballing team. Bristol are a good footballing team. You're really looking at your your Birmingham's, Huddersfield under Warnock, Rotherham. They're the kind of teams that might might try and get physical with you, but they're outnumbered by the teams that are coming to play football. The biggest thing is how competitive that league is. And the calibre of football being played is is really, really high. If if, if I was them, I, I, that's what I would do. I'd try and just aim towards... You, you went in the direction of that youth rebuild over the last two years, last three years, really. And I, I think I'd just try and stay the course with that and try and build around these really exciting young players so that when you come up, number one, you've got a team that's ready for the Premier League, you know, that, that we know the players, these younger players have the ability to play at that level. 
They're going to be battle-hardened by a year together in the Premier League, that are in the Championship. They'll have that familiarity of playing with each other. And you're not having to add huge amounts of players. You're only needing to add maybe one or two good players. You're not having to do what Forrest have had to do and buy an entirely new squad. Um, I definitely think there's there's going to be players you can go and get as well to supplement this. Like, let's say if Leicester go down. Well, we know they've got some serious financial issues hanging over them at the moment because they've overspent for a number of years. They're going to have to clear off quite a lot of salary. Maybe they'd sell you Pats and Daka for 10, 12 million. I think in the championship, he could score goals for fun, especially in a front three with Suleimana and Mara, because he'll get a lot of supply. It'll be a pacey, aggressive front three. So definitely, I think it's, it's, it's worth their while taking a, you know, a, a longer term view rather than, oh, this is a disaster. We've gone down. We need to sell everything now and completely reload for a season in the championship. Stay the course. Look at what you were looking at doing. You had a plan. Yes, it's taken a, you know, a sideward step, but it's still the plan. Stick with it. As you mentioned, Carol, some of these players, you're not even going to get back what you put into them as yet. So you might as well get a great season out of them. Like they can point at players who've gone down, had a great season and come back up and done very, very well out of it. Look at Joe Pedro. He's just earned a 30 million move to Brighton based on being willing to stick with a championship team and, and doing well in the championship. Gibbs White's another example, had a great season in the championship, got himself a move. Rian Brewster had that really good six months in the championship and got a big money move. Now, obviously, it's been a bit disastrous and hasn't worked out. But again, could you give them a call and say, look, can we get Rian Brewster on loan for a year and have him as not your starter necessarily, but someone that can come off the bench and maybe you find the best form of Brewster and all of a sudden you've got a really good goal threat coming off the bench. There's definitely ways they can do this without blowing it all up. Um, Liverpool, Carl. Are you expecting any changes from the team that played last weekend? I don't think so. I mean, I I guess there's there's scope for it, or at least there's you know reason to change if we want to. I don't think that it's more about players of next season, but rather at least getting a few more uh, combinations, a bit more experience in this system. So I expect, therefore, that it will be the same lineup. Um, maybe you can make a case for, you know, giving Darwin one more shot if he's fully fit now, or maybe using Gakpo in a, a deeper midfield role again instead of up front because well, Southampton are crap, basically, and you would expect Liverpool to dominate play. So I think those would be the only two alternative considerations, I'd say. I'd like to start Darwin if he's fit. If he's not fit, I'd start Jota. And I play Gakbo as the right side at eight slash ten, and just just see what it looks like again, especially against a, you know a bad defense. This is an opportunity to maybe get some confidence into players in the final game of the season, get some goals, and end the season on a bit of a high. Um, if Liverpool win by two clear goals, 
they will hit plus 30 in the goal column. Assuming Manchester United don't soil themselves entirely and that they take one point from the last two games, we would then miss top four and be the first team in 30-plus years in the big six leagues to finish with a goal difference of plus 30 and not get top four in a season where we haven't been docked points for match-fixing and there aren't also four other clubs getting plus 30. Um, which would be quite the achievement from us and really sum up our season. Look, our season has been absolutely ludicrous all the way around. I mean, you just go and look at the league table right now, just as it is with no context, and you see that we've won five in a row and drawn one, which is exactly the same as Man City, yet with 33 points behind them, a full 50% more points. 23, 23 points. 23, sorry. Okay, can't do maths today. Um, but we're still points. 33% yeah. behind them, yeah, over it's, the course of a just, season. It's just ridiculous. And then you factor in, like, we've won 7-0 against United, 9-0 against Birmingham, got a couple of big wins in Europe, and yet we've been historically bad in Jurgen yeah. Klopp's tenure. It's, it makes no sense at all. Just just finish it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we have been really poor defensively this season. Really poor defensively. And yet, if Chelsea concede two goals in the last two games, if United concede three goals in the last two games, if Arsenal concede one goal in their last game, and we end up keeping a clean sheet against Southampton, we would end up with the third best defensive record in the league. Which also makes no sense. No sense at all. None. As things stand, we've scored the joint third most goals in the league behind Arsenal and City, level with Brighton. And it's not like we've been great going forward either. We've just had a couple of big wins. Like you said, we beat uh, Bournemouth 9-0 and we beat United 7-0. We've been poor going forward for big chunks of the season. And yet, we may well end up with the third best attack in the league and the third best defence in the league while finishing fifth. It would make no sense at all, but it would be what we deserve. There's no chance United lose both games, is there? I don't even think there's any chance United lose to Chelsea, to be perfectly honest, given how Chelsea play and the lack of well, anything at all. Organisation, <laughs> efforts, structure, uh, build-up ability, finishing ability, <laughs> pick. Chelsea don't have but, any but, of that. So, But, Carl, they do go out there and express themselves. Well, because let them express themselves in that's a way what they're that told to we do. still hate United and we still want to beat them and we want to show that next season we don't have to retire as a club. So mm. go ahead and do that. Just give United a bit something to think about, a bit of bit of uh, bit of pressure in that last day. Why not? It's not going to yeah, happen. That's course. the thing. If but if they could get a win, it would put huge pressure on United in that last game. But and unfortunately, you are talking about could they get a win? If they could just get a win, this is if they could just get a second win since the 11th of March. <laughs> so probably not. They're due, Carl. They're due a win. Of course they are. And United, I mean, look, United are fortunate that both these games are at home because their home form has been has been where they've kind of managed to put together a top four season. But a team with a plus 11 goal difference does not deserve to be top four. That's a scandal. Brentford are plus 11, and they're ninth. 
That's where United should be. Ninth. They've lost the same number of games as Brentford as well. It's just that Brentford have too many draws. Right, let's just do predictions and go. What's your prediction for this game? Since I cannot now be banned for the rest of the season, I am saying 6-0 to Liverpool. Yes, yes I was hoping you'd do that. She's still in the, she's still in the chat as well. Um, I, I'm also going to fly in the face of Lisa Marie's warnings and I'm going to go 5-0. I'll go 5-0. Um, I just hope that Romeo Lavia puts forward a, a good representation of himself and convinces Jürgen that maybe this is the guy to go and get because it seems like we're too dumb to go and buy Manuel Ugarte, who'd be perfect next to Trent in the double pivot. Um, right, anything you want to plug before we go? I think this has been more than long enough today. Um, Give the, the people back their 20 seconds of time. Given the messing around trying to get the recording started, we're probably in about an hour 15, an hour 18. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Right, we will leave oh, it there oh, then. Oh, oh, I do have something. I do have something to mention. Okay. You're going to have to give me one second while I try and find it. Right, here we go. Uh, regular listeners may remember that... Uh, Right back at the start of the season, we, we recorded live uh, a fantasy draft league. Oh, yeah. And none of us were allowed to make any changes whatsoever. And I think, I think at the minute, we've actually got someone listening on the line who was involved in this because uh, Mac did it, didn't he, with us. So with one game to go, the standings are at, at, at present. Uh, fourth place is indeed Mac on 30 points. Third is Dave on 50 Guy on 61 points. And with an unattainable lead with one game to play, it's me top 65 points. So, you know, this this was the real competition all season long. It wasn't the, the minutes late one. So I end this campaign as the undisputed champion once more. How did we only end up with such low points? Um, well, you play like a fixture every week as such. So like this week just Oh, gone, I, I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get three points. Right, 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 right. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll do that again for next year as well. We might actually pay attention to it next yeah, year. Yeah, if we, if we do it with like more than like half an hour's warning, then we could get a few more people involved as well. Definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll, that's what we should do. We'll try and do... Maybe we should just do another one as well where we just do an actual... Um, Normal. A normal yeah. fantasy football league of, of all the, the, the regular listeners and stuff. Um, I'm sure the lads will put up a bit of prize money for that as well. You know, so we could, yeah, a fan tracks one could be good. There's more advanced stats in it. We could talk to Eddie and see if we can get, I don't know, 20 or 25 quid or something as a small prize for whoever wins. Something, something silly, like something small. Um, it could just be a bit of fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll do another one of these as well. Free pro summer. <laughs> Um, right, let's leave it there then. Thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next week. Um, are you on roll this week? Uh, I think I am. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll be we'll be back for the final roll of the season then on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday with Trev, and then uh, next week we start making it up as we go along. Uh, but we will find ways to get you content. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.